0: Bueller. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I had to raise my voice so y'all stop talking and having a good social hour. Like this is church. This is business. This is not social. This is not fun. No, I'm kidding. I'm glad everybody's having a great time. As always, uh, what a beautiful morning it is. You know, I, I you know, if I wasn't the pastor, I might have played hooky today, too. It's beautiful like who doesn't enjoy these fine days especially after what feels like a really long winter <laughs> and it's been cold but hey we're here and so praise the lord we're here and so we're going to worship today go figure right like but you came here not knowing that we were going to worship but yeah we're actually going to worship so no this all works out good uh, just a couple of quick announcements though as we're we're all getting situated and seated um I'm going to pass this around. This is a beautiful blank lined sheet of paper. What I need from you guys is your name and your shirt size. Okay? Very simple. I'm going to order shirts. So I would like your name and your shirt size. That's simple. I also, as far as personal growth goes, I got a new book. So it's up there in the front entryway. 40 Days of Faith by Paul David Tripp. I probably should have given this to you on like Ash Wednesday or something like that. It would have been kind of cool because that's the 40 days before you know, Easter. But I'm a little late. You know, there's always next year. But hey, I still got it for you. It's still so good. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope it's uh, fruitful and beneficial. Right? Yeah. Just Yeah. You just got to read a little more to catch up. There you go, Larry. See, Larry gets it. <laughs> and then as far as uh, regular growth groups my growth group is on Thursday and we'll be there on Thursday <laughs> it'll be great as it always is enjoyable or at least you know for my wife and I it's enjoyable the people that come it's enjoyable too but we enjoy having people over and then the Sheehan Growth Group on Monday is actually going to be, quote, unquote, the Riggs Growth Group on Monday. And so he's going to send out a flock note with his address uh, on it so that people know where to go in order to hang out. So it's going to be great. Hopefully you've all signed up for flock notes. If not, I'm sorry. You should. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> it's uh, just a great, easy communication tool that we have. And then uh, certainly, you know, we've got other missionary-type activities. Uh, there is another one, aside from the Home and Business Expo that we're working on, uh, Carolyn Tobinson talked to me briefly about Cinco de Genoa, which is, what, May 7th, and get more people involved. But we're at the early stages of that, and Carolyn's not here. So we'll, we'll pass by on that. But uh, that's all the announcements I wanted to get off my chest, so to speak, if you will. Uh, Other than that, I hope you're all doing well in whatever our hands find to do, and loving the Lord, glorifying Him, and living the good life. So glorify Him and enjoy Him. So dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for the blessings in our lives, especially the ones that we fail to see. I thank you beautiful morning. I thank you for the people that are here, and I just thank you for the grace and the mercy you've shown us in our lives. So, Lord, as we worship, tune our hearts and our minds to your will. Let this not be about us, but let us corporately be your church, and let us glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's Changing grace in every high and stormy gale my tongue can bid me as it's deep No tongue can bid me as it's When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I love. Soul is counted free for God and justice satisfied. To look on Him and pardon me, to look on Him and pardon me. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the one risen son of God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the one risen son of God. Behold him there. perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood, my life is made. Christ, my Savior and my God, with Christ, my Savior and my God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the One risen Son.
0: yep children already know they can be dismissed they're gone zoom they're like oh this is that time that guy talks I'm out <laughs> yes absolutely eventually I'll get into the camera here hold on guys hold on it's, it's a fun morning it's a fun morning make no mistake about that so our approachable king That's the title of today's sermon. And so, it's interesting. Depending on who you ask and when you ask, there certainly is different views and takes on our Lord, our God. He can be approachable, or he can be intimidating. I think, and I feel, And I I know, because I'm using terrible words to describe this, that it's important to have a balanced understanding of our Lord in that way. He most certainly is an approachable king. He's the one who has held out the olive branch to the sinner and to the rebel, who naturally is inclined to go their own way. But, depending on if you've been taught religion, <laughs> At some point in time in your life, God can be very intimidating too. And while certainly I don't want us to, to to lay on the side of intimidating, it is healthy to have a little fear of God too. But it really depends why you might have that fear of God. because unfortunately in religion and with most gods, God is an outside of your life, influence, friend, outside of the reality you live in. And he's just an authoritarian. He's just a dictator. He's a legalist. He's trying to tell you what to do with your life. And that can be intimidating. But, our king is second to none. Holy, 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 is Lord hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, He is the one who came down to serve. He's the one who came down to serve, to be our mediator. He's the one that came down to serve, to be our mediator, to eliminate that fear that we have of our Lord and to turn it into love and trust. So we just have a very small little caption this morning. Three verses. Three simple little verses should only take about an hour and a half. It's that simple. It's just that simple. It's that easy. I'm telling you. No. <laughs> but these three little verses, they really highlight the main thrust of the entire letter of Hebrews, which is why we take a step back, we slow down a little bit today, and we highlight some of the things that we've talked about previously in the text, before we go forward into six more chapters of how awesome our Lord and Savior Jesus is, and then another three chapters after that, continuing on about how awesome our Lord and Savior Jesus is. In fact, we'll probably continue going in that path because the whole Bible is just awesome because it talks about how awesome our Lord and Savior Jesus is. So we'll get to that eventually someday, but today, take a step back. See the small beauty of a king, a god, that certainly is approachable in a world that is very intimidating right now. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, especially the ones that we fail to see. And Lord, I just thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the change you've impacted in our lives. You've called us to be your church. You've created us to be a people for your own possession. And Lord, I just thank you that you indeed have sent out that that olive branch to us, that you indeed have a willingness to forgive the sinner. And so, Lord, we definitely are those sinners, and we do need forgiveness. But Lord Jesus, It's because of you that we can enter into this right and real relationship with the Father as our mediator. And Lord, we just thank you for those rich blessings of being a part of your kingdom and sharing our lives with you, not just today, but for all eternity. Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we will forever pray. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. So I would just want to give you, before we get into it a little more, just the, the over the 30,000 foot view, if you will. This is a beautiful transition. It's ending what we've learned in the first four chapters, and it is bridging what we're going to learn uh, in the next six chapters, which talks very intimately and very detailed about the high priesthood. So I've been kind of skirting it a little bit because I know these six chapters you're going to be like, I've heard enough about priests. But maybe you have, maybe you haven't at the end. So I've been taking it back a little bit. But a a high priest certainly is very important to the Jewish faith and to the Jewish tradition. We don't necessarily understand it today uh, because the high priest was the mediator between God and men. And so while we... Some of us may see and understand that Jesus certainly is that mediator that we have today. But Jesus is that high priest that needs to be acknowledged as the high priest, if you will, because of his atonement for sins. And so in these first four chapters, and as this brings it to a close today, we have uh, two more exhortations followed by the truth statement in the middle. And so we've got 14, 15, and 16. Verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. That is what the author is conveying here as the exhortation. Hold fast. Very simply, hold fast to the truth that you've learned about the Lord Jesus. Easy, right? Seems simple. Not that complicated. Easier said than done, though, unfortunately, for the sinner. And then we jump to verse 16. And he says, let us draw near. Let us draw near. And so that's completely different from most of our rational thinking and and when we talk about gods and, and the intimidation, if you will, that they have because, again, they're outside or whatever. But this is different. This is about that intimate relationship. This is about drawing near. We are entering in salvation, a covenant commitment, where God will be our God and we will be his people, very simply. There's much more to that too, but to simply put it, that's that's how it is. God will be our God and we will be his people in the long and short of it. That's why the two great commandments are, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. God comes first in all aspects of our lives. If only that was really the case, right? But, sandwiched between these two exhortations to hold fast and to draw near is verse 15 which really summarizes the entire thrust of this whole letter, if you will. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, this was all about, again, the gospel. This was all about, again, showing the, the deity as well as the full humanity of Jesus and why that is so important. And in fact, the high priest part of it, it's really important because that had to be a human. That had to be someone who was anointed by the Father to be the representative, to be the mediator between God and men. And so, this short three sentences you see the two exhortations, you see the connecting clause, but see also in all of this, it speaks of Jesus' deity, his humanity. It says that he's called the Son of God, a title that no one else has in in life. Jesus is that high priest able to atone for sins. (laughs) It's a declaration of he is as weak as we are, yet without sin. There's a new renewed confidence in our reconciled relationship that we have with God. There is grace, which is unmerited favor, to receive his forgiveness and his blessings for all eternity. So, there's quite a bit in there. And starting in verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. This also is what many theologians believe to be the... The summary, or the the the, (laughs) I'm forgetting the word now. The the main idea of the entire sermon. These three verses as the text because it brings up and recapsulates the first four chapters. And so the Son of God, if you remember, that was pretty much from the first whole chapter. Jesus higher than the angels, and For many of these things, if you turn back to chapter 1 in and of itself, we'll just talk briefly about a couple of these as we review it, that those whole first four sentences, there are seven amazing testaments to the Son of God that Jesus is. He's the heir of all things. He's through whom the entire world was created. He's the radiance of the glory of God is the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus made purification for sins. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more than theirs. And so when I got to chapter 2 finally, (laughs) after two weeks in chapter 1, there was one of those kind of of statements. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. But we're still focusing on the full deity of Jesus, and all of those truth statements certainly affect, depending on how we hold on to them, if we actually hold fast to these truths of what Jesus is, because what we think about God affects how we worship our God affects our relationship with our God. All of those factors from the first chapter on the full deity of Jesus certainly can impact and help us in times of need. Remember we talked about laments briefly? There were uh, complaints, followed by a petition of help, followed by truth statements. And that's where we kind of bring ourselves back in a sense, is in these truth statements. Because I guarantee you, everyone here has complaints about their life in one way or another, except for Chris. But everyone has complaints about their lives. And so we ask for help. Now, the help that we think we want isn't necessarily the help that we get. But we can always come back to the character and nature of our Lord for peace of mind, if you will to answer those fundamental questions about life. And, and Jesus certainly is in control over all of these. So, the Son of God, from verse 14 here, again, going back, covers the entire firstness of the first chapter, or, or the beginning of the first chapter. Not the firstness, that's kind of weird. But the second chapter, as we move into it as well, begins to talk about Jesus' humanity as well as his high priesthood. So if we flip to chapter 2, just briefly and going all the way to the end of chapter 2, you see verses uh, 16, 17, and 18. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." And again, this follows along in verse 14 here. We're we're recapping all this. Full deity, full humanity, high priest to be able to atone for sins. And that kind of ties into verse 15 as the general You know, the overarching main idea of this for we have a high priest, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we see that. Now, if we go to chapter 3, that whole let us hold fast our confession. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, I'll tell you to hold fast. Hold fast. And what do they have you hold fast on? Hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Take care, brothers, lest there be an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So take care. Hold fast. Be careful. Watch what you're doing again. And then for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. So you've got. Like This is just the most beautiful little three-verse gospel nutshell here because really in all of this as we've talked about and especially last week's sermon with the good news that came to us, not the good news that we searched and looked for and longed for, but the good news that came to us directly in the person of Jesus Christ. We are united by faith and there's a way to enter God's rest and there's still time as long as there's today. As long as there is a today. So, the exhortation to trust the king, the exhortation to trust the king and hold fast to the confession that we have. The the, the confession is homologia. Same talk, same speak. To agree with who Jesus is. To agree with God the Father that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he came down to serve. He came down to serve as our mediator. And what he did in that mediation was ultimately make our God approachable. Because in that propitiation or that atonement, and I kind of want to jump into the high priesthood and talk about Yom Kippur, but we're not there yet. Because Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has paid that price for sin that we can't pay on our own. And so in doing that, he has quelled the anger of the Father. And then we are able to be seen through the Son as sinless and blameless. That perfect spotless Lamb of God. It's kind of like the song we are listening to before, The Throne of God Above. It's a perfect song for today, especially as we talk about the Throne of Grace in the next verse. It just fits in very well, you know, how that all works out. But, Son of God, truth statements, what we think about Him. The High Priest, chapter two, what He came to do to atone for sins. Chapter three, again, holding fast to the confession, to the truth that we have been told, because it was first told to us by the Father. Then it was told to us by other people. Then God performs signs and miracles and wonder and all of this. And then chapter 4, the gospel, the good news that we are united by faith in Christ and we enter God's rest. This is not based on our own performance. This is based on what God has done and whether or not we can ultimately receive that message and that good news for our lives. So, Looking at verse 15 as that bridge, if you will, sympathize, sympathize with our weakness. First off, the flesh is weak as we know this. Now, as much as I could seriously expand this to talk about the whole Bible and sympathizing with our weaknesses and you know being tempted as we are yet without sin, keep it within Hebrews. So go back to chapter 1. Look at verse um, 8 and 9. Of chapter 1 because when we think about sympathy we think about emotions in a sense right and there's going to be a positive and a negative aspect for this so I'm going to give you the positive aspect of this and what it says is of the Sun your throne O God is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And this was one of those where it's amazing because Jesus is is more excited about your salvation than you are. And that that should be mind-blowing for most everybody that's out there. Most definitely because... I don't think that we fully grasp all the glory that's to be revealed to us. And I understand that, and I respect that, because we're not there. We haven't necessarily seen you know, what the, the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. But someday we will, of course. But the question is, have we tasted and seen ultimately that the Lord is good, and that if God is for us, who can ultimately stand against us? And I would like to say no one, ultimately, but... Certainly, there's sin within every human being and everything. So we continue to deal with that. However, in this moment, that joy, Jesus had that. He's able to sympathize with that. He's able to sympathize with us in what makes us joyful. For every one of us, it's different. Now, whether or not that joy is is God-inspired or whether or not that is a temptation, certainly that's something to be... You know, thought about, talked about, you know, analyzed through the lens of scripture, if you will. But again, see here, there's joy, and Jesus knows joy. And there ought to be joy in our lives by knowing the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. And for him to be on our side, that's encouraging. That's hopefully we can hold fast to in wherever we find ourselves. On the opposite end of the spectrum, If you go to chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So we've got this next part, sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus made perfect or complete through suffering. His life that he lived certainly had joys, that oil of gladness beyond our companions, but it also included sufferings. You know, the whole time, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, and the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus said that point blank, but he still was obedient, obedient to the point of death on a cross. So much better than us, because we sure wouldn't have done that. But you have both ends of the spectrum here, right? You've got the joy, and you've got the suffering. You've got the human experience. And that's what the author is really trying to convey, is that you really have the whole human experience wrapped up in our Lord and Savior. And without that human experience, he would just be far off. He'd be distant. He'd be intimidating. But because the good news came to us and Jesus came to earth to save the lost, therefore we have certainly a high priest who was able to sympathize with our weaknesses as he lived 33 years here on earth before he went to the cross himself. So there's a lot of life that was led in that. There's a lot of of all this. And, And if anything, hopefully that does encourage you to hold fast to Jesus as our high priest because you've been through some junk. You've been through some joys. You've been through some sufferings and everything in between. God knows. God is able to sympathize with us. And because he is able to sympathize with us, hopefully there would be less fear and more trust just the same. And then even when we talk about tempted as we are yet without sin, I always think back to you know the Gospels and the major temptations that Jesus has. But this isn't about all those sins, but the pride of life. You know, you think about that. Like, we make much about us. We make a big, meany, little God. But Jesus wasn't that way, too. Like, he didn't come down and lord his lordship over everybody. He came down to serve. And he was tempted, even with the pride of life, I'm sure, as we are, but he still remained humble and in humility. And as Paul says in Philippians, obedient to the point of death on the cross. Like, People wouldn't be that obedient, knowing knowing what we know now, and especially with, with life and death. But how he came down to serve is important to know, and it's to understand, and it's a big part of our approachable king, because he wants this relationship. A lot of people are thinking, one and done, like, yes, I've said this, now I should be a Christian, now I'll never see you all again. I'm not going to come to church, I'm not going to do these things, like, it just doesn't matter happen that way, nor ought to, at any stretch of the imagination, be that way just the same. Because it is that relationship. God has always had a covenant for his people. Like, you are going to be my people. I am going to be your God. Now, all the things that happen outside of that continue to blossom and develop by the fruits of the Spirit. But for us to embrace If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you know the community of God as his church. You have the Holy Bible as the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you as the part of sanctification. All of these are working together to grow faith in you, as well as the fruits of the Spirit. So God has given us, again, all the tools that we need. There's nothing that we would be short of or lacking or something that we need to do other than appreciate or develop a heart of gratitude, but that has to be done through God. And the more you taste and see that God is good, the more you have the faith to know that Jesus is all of those truth statements from the first chapter. Jesus was fully God. He is fully man. He's creator of heaven and earth. He's eternal. He's a being. I'm tempted to read that, but I'm not. Um, There's so many more that... That Jesus is, and this is just one small part of a book. But here we are, the author conveying his message to us, the author showing us his main idea here in that we have salvation unlike salvation we've ever had before. And so, when I say this is the best time to live in, I really mean it because we have salvation more fully realized than we've ever had it before, and every day we get that much closer to that eternal reality in our lives, whether it be from our physical demise or whether it be towards Jesus coming back that much sooner. Like, who knows? It's going to be like a thief in the night. No one's got it marked on their calendar, except for the Creator, who knows what day it's going to be and when it's going to be. So praise the Lord for all this. And praise the Lord, certainly, that He is approachable and that He's not unattainable. Because when you look at religion and you think about religion, again, it's all climbing up those ladders, you trying to appease God. You see true Christianity for what it is and you see God sending his son down to bring us back up to him. To literally carry us up to him. Because we can't even walk up that mountain on our own. So, Jesus came down to serve again as our mediator and ultimately making our king approachable. <coughs> Excuse me. So, turning our fear into trust and love. And this has a lot to do with that intimidation. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. I can't help but think of the Isaiah chapter 6 passage. Hopefully, you've read it. Before, holy, holy, holy is the Lord host. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah has his moment in God's throne room. I don't know if while you're praying you have ever thought about that yourself, being in in God's throne room with the seraphim and, and the angels all flying around. There's creatures you've never seen before in your life. There's holiness, the light shining. like. It's a beautiful description. But none of us have been there. But maybe when we pray... We think about that, or maybe our minds go blank. I'm not saying there's one right way or another, but again, it's drawing near to God. Like, is He off on this island, and you're like, "Hello, out there," or is it more of a relational Lord? I don't know what's going on. Please help me in in my weakness and my my time of challenge. You know, continue as if it's a face-to-face conversation. Hopefully for all of us it is grown to be that face-to-face conversation. For many out there in the world, it's the hello and they're way over there. There's no relationship whatsoever. He is an existential being set aside in heaven, outside time, outside earth and reality. You know, a lot of people even say he's the big Santa Claus in the sky. And it's just that it, that's not the way that. Our God would want him to look at him because it's not that way. And this is why I say it's good to have a balanced approach in this because our Lord certainly is approachable, but there are some aspects that's intimidating. You know, there are consequences for sin. Like most people are like, oh, Jesus loves me, I just do whatever. There's consequences for your actions, both positive and negative, always will be. God has laid this out back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. There's blessings and there's curses. There's belief and unbelief, if you will. So there's trust and there's untrust or lack of trust in all of this. So, but turning our fear into trust, this also reminds me very intimately of what we talked about in 1 John chapter 5, um, where Jesus. Or actually, it talks about the relationship again that we have with God and God holding out that office, or that that branch, if you will. But more so, it's First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, read it again. Okay. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That word perfected means complete in this. They have not been completed in love. The reality of our lives is while we may hold fast and hold strong, we will not be complete until we are with Jesus, wherever he will be at. So, until that moment in time, and especially as we talk about this, that is relational. It is entirely about a relationship. Again, fear has to do with punishment. Many people are fearing because, well, they know that they're sinners. They know they've done things wrong. They know they've failed to glorify God. Therefore, there's a punishment coming that way. But that fear turns into love and appreciation when you see and embrace that good news, or hold fast, if you will, that good news that God sent his Son to pay for my sins. Therefore, there is no fear of that punishment left in me, or hopefully (laughs) there would be no fear of that punishment within me, but that fear of punishment ought to leave because again this is a relationship that God has wanted that God has started now this would be different if I was like do you want to have a relationship with me or, like we we're back in high school check the box do you like me <laughs> you know it's very different we're not we're not at that stage we're not back in high school anymore we're worried about you know do you like like me or do you like me you know, or anything like that. No, God has laid it all out there. He sent his son. There is a price that was paid in redemption that is costly. It is by blood. It is by the perfect spotless lamb. No one else can do that. That price that has been paid, that olive branch, that reconciliation to restore us to a right and a real relationship with our creator had to eliminate that fear of punishment for sin. Because think about the Jews that he's writing this to again. The Messianic Jews, that fear of punishment, the adherence to the law that they had, those 613 laws, the civil, the ceremonial, the food, the customary, like all of these different things that you had to follow as if this was how you're saved. But this was to show God's holiness. What we know now, again, why it's such a beautiful time to live in this time, because understanding the Old Testament in light of the New Testament is eye-opening. It makes a ton more sense now than it ever did you know, before in the past. In fact, I think about it briefly, like, what would it be like to be a Jew today, still trying to follow a lot of these things? I'm like, man, this has got to be hard. I don't know how they do it. But they are, and they're trying, and it's hard. And it's got to feel hopeless a lot of the times, rather than us being filled with hope because we know that it's not on us. It's a simple matter of trust and belief. Or to hold fast the trust and to draw near, to believe. Now there's a verse in in this, and, and as much as I want to go forward into Hebrews, I'm not going to do that because I feel like that lets, you know, part of what the audience is learning at the time, you know, but if I was to encapsulate it, there's a, there's a beautiful statement here in mm. Hebrews, especially about what I was just talking about, which I totally space cadet. But it's a beautiful morning. It's a beautiful morning. And Jesus ultimately turns our fear into trust and love because there is not that punishment that we are so fearful for. And there is that sense of trust and to hold fast and to draw near to God. Um, I do think it's also in the book of Acts that, you know, God, the times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. And so that is just turning from your ways. And that's the, the belief. And that's that trust. And that's that love. Because you wouldn't draw near if there wasn't love. Nor would you hold fast if there wasn't a reason to hold fast or to trust. You think about all the relationships that you have as a human being, uh, whether that's with your parents or your employer's employee type of relationship. There has to be a level of trust there. There has to be. Otherwise, your relationship isn't even a relationship in the beginning. So, is Jesus all of these things? Is he... You know, Full deity as well as full humanity, chapters 1 and 2. Have you seen the ways that we need to hold fast to our confession in chapter 3? Do you see the good news that came down to us in chapter 4? Do you believe these things? Do you trust in these things for your salvation? And that, at the end of the day, that's it. It's not about the works you do. If you remember last week, your works come after you. It's not that your works come before you as a way of proving your worth, like the world says. Your works come after you in Christ, because Christ comes first. So that perfect love that casts out fear, and then, you know, let us then with confidence. And why can we have confidence? Because we've been reconciled through the atonement by a sinless high priest. And that was a Jewish custom. Up until the destruction of the second temple, they had high priests. And the high priest's biggest job was to do the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, if you will. And on that Day of Atonement, they would atone for the sins of themselves as well as the people to God. Now, fast forward to the future, you have that same exact thing in Jesus. Jesus came down. He became that high priest anointed by God. And on that day of atonement, which was the day of the cross for Jesus, that was the day of atonement for all humanity, not left to some religious, you know, spectacle, if you will. This was the life and times of people and the life and times of Jesus. And so, when he atoned for sins by going to the cross as sinless and taking on a punishment that he rightly did not deserve. That, again, should put out that fear to us and build that trust and love even that much more to us. So, perfect love casts out fear. Our Lord and Savior came down to serve And he served as our mediator to make our king more approachable because he turns that fear of punishment from the king into trust and love for us. And so whether you think God is completely approachable or whether you think God's intimidating, hopefully there's a little bit of both in there for us. Because what we think about God certainly affects how we worship our God, how we hold fast to him, how we draw near to him. And so knowing what we know about Jesus and knowing what he's done, he is most certainly approachable and not someone to fear or be scared of entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, there still is a punishment for sin. Like I can't go totally lawless on you guys, but I certainly can't go legalistic on you either. The truth is always in the middle. Just as my brother Larry and I were talking, you can overcook something and you can undercook something, but it's always best right in the middle, right? Where it's not overcooked and it's not undercooked. And so understanding, again, continue to grow, continue to be sanctified, continue to grow in faith. That's that trust of the Lord, because he wants that intimate relationship. And Jesus reconciled us for that purpose. He restored us to that right and that real relationship with an approachable king, an approachable God. Tell me another God who is approachable. Tell me another God who doesn't just smite and smote from wherever he's from. (laughs) Yeah, when we think about it, certainly. Jesus is good news, and he came down to us, which makes him so much different than anything else in the world today. And that is amazing. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, certainly you are God. You are the Son of God. You are the heir of all things. You are the exact imprint of his nature. You are beautiful in so many different ways to us and in our lives. As well as Jesus, you became fully man, a little lower than the angels, as it is said. And so it was just for a short time that you were lower than the angels until you were rightly placed at the right hand of God, sitting next to the majesty on high. And so, Lord, because you are fully God, because you are fully man, and because you are currently residing in heaven, continue working with us as your children, as your people for your own possession, a holy nation and a royal priesthood, that you may continue to sanctify us, that you may continue to work within us. that you may continue to turn our fear into trust and love because, Lord Jesus, you have come down to serve. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And so we praise you for that, Lord. May you continue to work within us. May you continue to tune our hearts and our minds to your will, and may you continue to um, knit us together in you, that we may be found in Christ, so that when Judgment Day comes, there will be no fear, but there will be perfect love that casts out that fear. So we love because you first loved us, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.